1: And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
2: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. It's a red letter day on Alvin Analysis. Pete, this could be a happy pod. It could actually be a positive, upbeat pod because, Lordy, Lordy, we have a win to talk about, Pete.
0: It's about time, isn't it? You know?
1: Not half, mate. Oh, my God. This has been a slog for weeks, hasn't it?
0: Being the lead as well. I mean, we're just talking about some stuff off air and we've been prior to the. Um, the Reading game, we'd have been in the lead for only like 130 minutes for the whole season, so and we're not getting wins and we've not been in the lead, so it's yeah, a massive relief to finally, finally have something positive to talk about.
1: And, and it was so positive as well, I mean, because quite often when that win finally comes, it, it, it look back to last season and you think back to maybe the Hullaway game, where we where we finally got that that win on the road after after a long, long wait away from home and it was a pretty horrible scrappy win wasn't it it wasn't nice it wasn't wasn't anything whilst you enjoy the victory it was hard to enjoy the performance very much in that game i don't think you can say that about yesterday i i thought from minute one i, I mean I watched the game. I thoroughly enjoyed watching us. I thought we were at it from, uh, from the off. I thought our pressing was unbelievable. Thought the energy of the players, the way that they defended from the front. I know that's a cliche, but they really did do that. Brandon Thomas, Asante, Grady, Dean Garner and Jed Wallace pressed so high on their defence, didn't give them a moment's peace and and panicked them into some bad long balls forward. And when we attacked, we attacked with numbers and we attacked with energy. And my big criticism of us, particularly the last two games under Bruce, um, Preston and Luton, would be we didn't get enough men in the box and we were just talking about this off-air, Pete, but I think we've got to give a load of credit to Richard Beale for the way he set the team up because he didn't change loads, did he? He he kept the same formation. He kept the same 11-bar-1 change, which was Taylor Gardner-Hickman coming in for Koslu, And the rest of it was the same, but tactically he made tweaks. And he said in the post-match interview, which I heard on Radio WM, when he got asked about changes, he said, look, I kept things very simple. I wanted to make people very clear about what was expected of them. The, the, you know, I put Taylor into midfield to give us some energy and some legs. And the other thing that he, he, he said was that he asked Matt Phillips to get a lot higher. And you've pointed out that when you look at the positional data, that goes for both, uh, both wingbacks, that Connor Townsend was really loads higher than he was against Luton as well. and, it, it's. It would be easy for a caretaker manager to go come in and say we haven't we haven't won in nine games, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's change everything, let's go to a four four two that we've not played all season or something like that. But he didn't. He went. There wasn't a lot wrong against Luton, and Bomber Brown said this on WM as well. There wasn't a lot wrong against Luton, but what we did badly is we didn't score a goal. And second half, we didn't look like scoring a goal. So how can I make us more of a threat without losing that defensive solidity that we built against Luton? And what he did was he built on that brilliantly. He kept, he kept the three centre-halves. He kept Livermore in that midfield, who we'll come to a bit more later, but I thought he was tremendous. And then he went, right, but the problem is when you've got Livermore and your Koslu in there... Okay, it's defensively solid, but my goodness me, there's no attacking threat coming from there. So let's take one of them out and put Taylor Gardner Hickman in, and suddenly, boom, different dynamic. And he's also looked at it and gone, the front three did okay against Luton, but they were left fairly isolated. So how can we get more support um, uh, to them? Bam. Let's get Phillips and Townsend as high up this the field as uh, as uh, as we can, and you said off air, Pete, that Phillips's average positional data he was as high up the field as Jed Wallace, and I just think that it's really really intelligent coaching from Richard Beale that he has looked at it and gone, I don't need to reinvent the wheel here, I don't need to go crazy with this and completely rip up what Bruce had done in the Luton game, I just need to make it a little bit better, and that's exactly what he did.
0: Yeah, um, the, uh, the average positions is, it's actually really pleasing to look at because there's a nice, nice amount of symmetry. And yeah, like you say, the, the wing getting really high, supporting the, the front line. And just, uh, yeah, like Phillips is basically level with Wallace. And Wallace is just a bit more tucked inside. And it's the same on the, on the left hand side as well. Um, so they definitely, definitely got into the game and was probably, well, they're both very important in Lincoln with their, um, their winger on each side, so Phillips linking with with Wallace and, and Townsend with Angana. So I think that was a, a really, really good idea from Bill to to um, push them higher and get more involved in an in attacking threat. And I mean, even just the first. Are you goal
1: surprised we... Bruce didn't do that though, because it doesn't seem like rocket science, does it?
0: No, but I don't. Maybe Bruce was worried about about us being exposed defensively. I'd... I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like rocket science, but, um, you know, from, from some of the, from that report by, uh, the article by Elias Burke, yeah, I mean, maybe it doesn't surprise me reading some of the, because he was saying about the, uh, the complete lack of preparation before games and stuff. So, you know, hopefully that's improved and, and we get to see more ideas that get introduced and, and work rather than just sticking with the same old stuff. But, you know, yeah, really pleasing. And it it the first goal kind of um came from Phillips being higher as well when when the ball was on the left the left hand side he was he was still in an advanced position and and I think it was Garden Hickman managed to pick the ball up from uh, It's an unbelievable cross field ball from Yeah, Taylor. exactly. And if Phillips wasn't as high as he was, then he wouldn't have been able to um to get into that position. So yeah, I mean it must be pleasing for the for the uh the manager to um implement a tactic and get a goal from it straight away you know so he got a reward for for pushing those wing bucks high
1: i have to <laughs> say i, I enjoyed uh, i enjoyed rob gurney's um, post match interview with him actually on w m because uh, he he opened with uh with an a team quote um uh, i uh, don't you just love it when a plan comes together which 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 was very very pleasing to my ears i have to say, but that's exactly what it felt like however um and I don't there's not a lot of I suppose you can look at this as a positive or a negative, but having been enlightened by Elias Burke's article as we were the other day um you you have to look at that, Pete, and say when you look at the energy that we put into particularly the first. Half an hour of that game, but not all the way through that game. To be honest, there was the, um, the, the, there was the, the, the way in which we pressed them. Um, I was really impressed with Wallace, Dean Garner and Thomas Asante, the way they pressed their, their defense, but also the way we reset into shape out uh, of possession. I thought we looked so solid when we lost the ball. We m- m- players got quickly got behind the ball. They got into shape and we became really, really, really hard to break down. And it wasn't until, until the very end where maybe we ran out of a little bit legs, a little bit of legs. Maybe we sat a little bit too deep that Alex Palmer really had to pull some cracking saves out of the bag. But really for 70 minutes, we were, we were untroubled. I didn't, I don't think Alex Palmer made, made a save until he suddenly had to make that string of saves right at the end. But, you know, you've got to wonder where was that energy and that commitment in the previous games? And I, I appreciate the fact that the tactics were slightly different and therefore maybe there wasn't the same, same level of buy-in. Maybe there wasn't the same level of instruction to the players to be as ferocious in their pressing. And But you've got to believe that wanting players to get back into shape is something any manager would want his team to do. And yet we've not done that in, in previous games. I mean, there's there's a reason we've conceded as many goals as we have. And part of it has been down to David Button. Yes, 100%, I believe that. But another part of it at times has been bad shape, bad bad organisation from from the players. And part of that is down to the manager, but part of it is down to the players as well. These are experienced pros, and they know where they should be on a football pitch. I have to say, if, if it needed any underlining, Elias Burke's, Article which suggested that certain players had lost belief in the in in the Steve Bruce regime. I thought that was emphasised by the amount of energy and commitment and discipline that um, Richard Beale managed to get out of them.
0: It's nice to know that we can actually have that discipline and, and energy because um, we've not seen a lot of it in the in the past few weeks. Which yeah, I think it's evident that the players or at least some of the players had. Um, started to lose belief in Bruce um, so it's pleasing that, that we've seen it and that it's possible and hopefully it continues but then it is the concern that this group of players that has done that a few times before where they've either lost interest or, or lost lost belief in the manager and, and kind of stopped playing um, and got them sacked so that's the concern There seems to be part. a
1: lot of power in our dressing room doesn't there?
0: Yeah and that, that is a worry because well I mean effectively they're they're deciding who's, which managers can stay and which ones can go because they're just choosing the ones that they want to play for. But, I mean, yeah, let's look at the positives that we showed that we could do it and um, that they're willing to for for Beal at least. So if he's in charge of the next one, hopefully it's a similar um, similar level of performance, but even similar similar level of application and and intensity to to press and then to get back into defensive shape. Um, and hopefully it can can continue when we, we do eventually appoint a new manager.
1: Well, I think it's nailed on that he will be in charge for Tuesday. I mean, even it, 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 we're recording at, at this moment in time, um, uh, late afternoon on on Sunday, and obviously there are there are rumours of who the new manager might be. We'll come to those in a moment, um, but at the same time, even if even if the new manager was to be appointed tomorrow, realistically speaking, that th- that's you know, twenty-four hours before a game, there's there's no way any manager would have time to work with the players or implement any any of his own ideas. A, a, a new manager, and I've seen it before. I think I think Tony Mowbray was um, appointed on the eve of a game, but he just left Craig Shakespeare to get on with it and uh, and, and, and and you know manage the game. And, uh, and mogger took charge the day after effectively. And I think that's been the case a number of times. So I think whatever happens, even if a new manager was to be appointed late today, being Sunday, early Monday, I still think Richard Beale will in all, to all intents and purposes, be the player, the player's manager. He will be the one making the decisions for, for Tuesday night, which is, which is absolutely positive because he deserves that because the, the team were tremendous on Saturday and, He made small changes, but he made the right changes. And the biggest change uh, that that he made, and we've already touched on this, Pete, was bringing Taylor Gardner-Hickman into midfield. Now, if only there was a podcast out there that had been screaming Till its lungs were hoarse, that Taylor Gardner Hickman isn't a right back, and he's a central midfielder. And to uh, and and to play him there, I mean, look, I'm not saying we're smart because the, every, every Albion fan knows this, but why why have people in and around the club, why have people like Steve Bruce been so desperate to tell us that Taylor Gardner Hickman is a right back when every good game I've seen Taylor Gardner Hickman have for West Bromwich Albion? has been in central midfield and not only that I don't think I've ever seen the kid have a bad game in central midfield and I've seen him have a lot of bad games at right back he has got to play there all the time he's not a right back he's not very good at being a right back he is a blooming fantastic central midfielder
0: he's excellent yesterday wasn't he and he thoroughly deserved his goal as a as a reward at the end of it um, and even for his goal he, I mean he, he earned it himself didn't he pressed the um I think it was Jeff Hendrick on the ball. And, well,
1: that's that's the thing. He's picked the pocket of one of the most experienced midfielders on the pitch. I mean, how many how many Premier League games has Jeff Hendrick got under his belt?
0: Yeah, well, it's a lot, isn't it? And he's he's pressed him really well on his, you know, kind of got come up behind him um, on his blind side and, and nicked it off him and and got up as well. I mean, he could have easily just stayed down and gone for the free kick, but he got up and drove forward and phew, hit that shot and. It's world, it well, didn't he?
1: There was a little bit of. Do, do you remember Wayne Rooney against Newcastle where he's arguing with the referee and then the ball breaks the edge of the box and he's so sort of like wound up that he just tonks it into the top corner? There was a little bit of that with, with Taylor where he's kind of like he's muscled him off the ball, he's had to pick himself off the turf, and I feel like that adversity has almost made his mind up that there's nothing because he had options both right and left. He had Cleary to his left and he had Grant to his right. But I feel like the fact that he got tripped up, had to almost pull his face out of the dirt, made his mind up that there was only one thing he was ever going to do with that ball.
0: Yeah. And he hit it really, he hit it really clean didn't he? hard. And, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't really that, that well placed. It wasn't in the corners or anything, but he hit it so hard that it just flew past the keeper. Um, and, yeah, he picked up an assist as well, which is, is nice to see, you know, because, I mean, you can have a great performance, but sometimes it, it goes unnoticed if you don't get the the goals or the assists for it to be shown as well. Um, and his his passing was good uh, quite a few times. He played those long switches. Um, and but obviously he
1: takes got... risks as well, Pete, because I had a look at the data, and, and his data in terms of kind of like um, making mistakes – is up that is up there with Grady. Is comparable with Grady Dean Garner. Now you might think that that's a negative thing. I generally, genuinely, don't take it as that because I think you only get those. You either get those kind of numbers for one of two reasons, don't you? Either you're a bad footballer, which we both know Taylor Gardner Hickman is not, or what it means is you are trying to make stuff happen, and by virtue of that, it's more difficult to do, and therefore your numbers for what the who scored calls unsure touches becomes higher but I don't see anybody else out of our central midfielders malumbi Livermore Yokoslu I don't see anybody else who will go out there and try things the way Taylor does
0: no and it's I mean if you can be confident that you can win the ball back relatively quickly um, and you're doing it in the right areas then taking risks is is a good thing because um, that's you need that to, to break sides down so yeah as long as we've got the structure behind him um, and he's doing it in the right, the right moments and the right areas on the pitch. Then I'd say having someone that's going to take risks is, is um, is important and it really benefits the team. Um, and yeah, I think, I think he did a great job alongside Livermore. Helped with the the energy in midfield. Um, and and well, kind of, we were attacking down the down the wings mostly. Most of our play was down the wings, as you'd expect with the wing backs and stuff. So he he kind of shifted the ball out there. To each side um, pretty nicely and yeah that switch of play to to Phillips crossfield ball was incredible and well so is his goal as well so he's thoroughly thoroughly deserved to get the, the goal and the assist.
1: Is he that number eight solution that you and I have been talking about Not not just all season but before the season even started, when we did the podcast um, uh, uh, assessing our squad and basically saying what we needed, we both sat there and said, we, we, want, we, need, we need Joe Rothwell in midfield. We need that energy. We need that box to box. You look at the, um, the, 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 touch data that, that Albion, the, the, map that Albion have put out, which, uh, I, 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 I realize they've, uh, they've rather, uh, rather nicked your style somewhat there, Pete. Um, and I'm sure there will be a, the, the, there'll be a letter from your lawyer in the post at some point in the near future. Um, but, uh, like, I'm, I do, is, is he, is he answering that problem? Because we've talked about this a lot in recent weeks. Because we believe that that having Livermore and Yokoslu or Livermore and Malumbi, or Malumbi and Yokoslu is part of the reason why Swift doesn't work as well in this in this team, and it's also why when we play three at the back and two in two in midfield. You know, uh, the, effectively the five-two-three. If that's how you want to view that system, I realise people can construe it in as uh, as a, a three-five-two, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, the the problem is that you haven't got that drive from midfield. He seems to solve all the problems that we really have with our midfield.
0: Yeah, and he's he's very different to the other midfielders. I'm still not sure he'll be the the person to consistently play. Progressive passes, like into the forwards and stuff, um, He will carry it forward, and he's good at that. And he showed he showed his range of passing for switching the play and stuff yesterday. But I'm still not sure he'd be the kind of person to consistently feed it into into Swift, for example, in in just outside the box and stuff. Um, I don't think I don't think we've got that player in the club. Um, I don't think we brought brought someone in that could do that. But if we're going to uh, persist with playing a back three, then and it's maybe not as important because we can use those, uh, wide men and the wide centre backs to try and help move it forward and, and go down that avenue of progressing down the wings. But in terms of driving forward with the ball, and then, yeah, I'd say, I'd say Garden Hickman's probably our, our best central midfielder for doing that job. So he's, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting because we do have a few, a few different options in, in that position now. Um, I mean, Malumbi as well. He, he, carries the ball very well. Um, I think I kind of forgot about him just then, but yeah, we've got quite a few options and it'll be interesting for the, for the new manager where what he sees is, is midfield as because, um, you know, you could Livermore, Gardner, Hickman, uh, Malumbi, even Rogic and, and Swift can potentially play as one of those eight. So plenty of options and, and it'll be interesting what he, he puts as together as a midfield to, um, for his uh, starting
1: eleven, it's worth saying as well. And this isn't just reserved to the Reading game, but also the games where we saw um, the, we saw Taylor play in central midfield last last season. If you have got a a slightly slower, less mobile player alongside him, Taylor makes that player better, doesn't he? Because I thought Jake Livermore was absolutely outstanding yesterday. And I still think Jake Livermore has an awful lot to give to this th- this football club at this level. I know this podcast has had a bit of a i wouldn't go as far as to say love hate because i've never wanted to hate jake livermore but we've uh, we've had an up and down relationship with Jake Livermore, uh, particularly after the Sheffield United game when he got him, got himself sent off and um you know my 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 take on that from that night stood that that if livermore couldn't control himself. He doesn't, de- not only does he not deserve to wear the armband, but he doesn't deserve to be in the side. But to be fair to Jake since that night, it seems like he, he I haven't seen him, you know, touch wood. Cause I don't want to see him fly through somebody in the first 10 minutes against Bristol city on Tuesday, but I haven't seen him th- make those kind of silly rash mistakes that, that he, that he'd become prone to over a period of 12 to 18 months. And, when you put somebody with legs alongside him, he okay. is limited in terms of his passing ability and in terms of the legs that he has. But in terms of just being a holding midfielder at this level, he is one of the best around as long as you've got somebody alongside him who can do the sort of buzzing around stuff because the problem is you put somebody who's just as slow as Jake alongside uh, alongside him and you've just got a slow midfield, haven't you? You put somebody like um, like Taylor Gardner-Hickman alongside him and what you see is that Jake Livermore is, in that situation, one of the best defensive midfielders in the division.
0: Yeah, and he, he kept his... I mean, I suppose the other thing that you need around him is someone that can um, pass the ball and move it forward. But, again, if we're going down the route of progressing the ball down the wings, then it's maybe not as important. But, you know, Livermore kept his, his passing pretty simple um, and low risk, which, I mean, is it's probably best for him to just kind of keep it keep it simple and, and let the other players on the pitch take take the risks and um, move the ball forward. He just kind of played it, you know, just little passes into Gardner-Hitman or, or maybe into the wide areas, into the, the wing backs and the, the wide centre backs. Um, and yeah, I, he's got his passing, his progressive distance. So the distance he moved the ball forward for the whole game was 29 yards. So he didn't move the ball forward really, but he, he just kind of um, kept kept the ball moving and kept play ticking and and, and did things simply. And, and I mean, that worked for him. So I think you can't expect him to be um, a player like Romain Sawyers was where he was, you know, he'd, he'd love to get on the ball and, and pick all sorts of passes. I think with Livermore, you need players around him that are going to um, attempt and make the the harder passes and have Livermore there just to um, play it simply to them and then break up the play when we don't have the ball.
1: Yeah, because not not everybody in a team has to make progressive forward key passes, do they? Do they, Pete? You know, I think, and I think, I think sometimes when when people get bogged down in things like assists data uh, as as a metric to measure midfielders or even key passes, it's worth noting that some players are in there to just be uh, to just be rock solid and and to give the ball to the better players, technically better players, I should say, in the squad.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um... I mean the one issue, I mean the obvious issue is that we don't have a midfielder that can consistently progress the ball. But um, I think I think Livermore will definitely be a have a role to play this season for the rest of the season. But I think in certain games he he should probably be left out, especially if we're expecting to really dominate the game and have all the ball. Um, then maybe you can take a, a risk and play someone that's going to have a bit more impact in the final third. But in terms of offering solidity to the to the back three or or four whatever formation we're going to play in the future um he's definitely useful and um he showed that yesterday uh, he showed that against Reading.
1: i just want to look as well at two other players um one of whom stood out and probably was second only to taylor gardner hickman for man of the match another that i've just been really really impressed with over the last three games and that's uh, I want to talk about Alex Palmer and Martin Kelly. And the reason I'm bundling them th- them in together is because they both came into the side at the same time. They both came into the side for the Preston game. And since Kelly and Palmer came into the side, we have conceded one goal in three games. And I really don't think that's a coincidence. Alex Palmer was tremendous on uh, on on Saturday and quite rightly got a lot of applauded for a flurry of quite brilliant saves towards the end of that game. But it is worth noting that he was largely untroubled for the sort of 70 minutes that went before that flurry of saves. And whilst obviously O'Shea and Peters will also be a big part of that, I just feel like Martin Kelly is the steadying hand that has come into that defence. And he just, to me, Pete... He just looks like a proper defender. You know you know the kind kind of guy when when you talk to coaches and they say things like he just really enjoys defending. Like I feel like Martin Kelly really enjoys defending. Like he he looks like the kind of player who goes out there and prides himself on clean sheets and you know has has very little interest in the glory at the other end of the field. His glory is making that last-ditch challenge, like clearing that ball that comes across the six-yard box out for out for a corner or, you know, finish the final whistle going in and there being a zero next to the opposition's name. And I think we've missed that. I really think we've missed that. And I think that now with Palmer and Kelly, I think Kelly reduces the amount of work that Palmer is going to have to do over a 90-minute. And I think Palmer being in there ahead of Button suggests that when the opposition inevitably do break through and create an opportunity, because you can't, you, you can't deny every team opportunities for the full 90 minutes every week, that there is a much greater likelihood that he will stop them than, than, than David Button. And, you know, let's, we'll focus on the positives because we've said our piece on David Button and it's not, you know, it's not good. But Alex Palmer not only has improved us in that position, which I don't think was going to be very hard given, given Button's numbers, but I mean he's excelled really when you look at some of the saves that that he's made I thought the little tip over backpedalling against Luton was a brilliant save the one where he moves his feet at nil nil against Preston is a just a, a staggering save really to make and some of the saves he made against against Reading were just there was a couple that were just out of this out of this world there's one follow-ups there, there was one where he had to make three saves in very quick succession and the second one he makes is just absolutely brilliant, and i'm just i'm feeling good now because because my my problem with us defensively all season has been it almost didn't matter how many goals we scored i always I always felt unless we were two or three up Pete that we weren't going to win a game now I honestly have a I have a bit more belief in this team that if we went one up in a in a game that we might be able to grind it out with Kelly at the back and Palmer in nets. What do you say?
0: Yeah, Palmer's definitely given me more confidence with each game I see him play. Um I said before that I wasn't sure because so many managers had kind of overlooked him and he's relatively inexperienced. But I mean so far he's he's definitely impressed and he made yeah a number of good saves yesterday. There was the the long shot as well that was he saw it from the angle like behind the goal and it was Moving through the air like wobbling, side. To side banana, but, didn't it? Yeah, and he he did well to react to that as well because they're, they're not easy. Um, so yeah, he had a had a really good game, and he has done yeah has played well for the past few games. So.
1: Well, the other thing is, Pete, just on that, that I feel like he he pushes balls into good areas as well because the, the one thing with goalkeepers is making the save, but it's it, it's easy to make the save and then push it into a good area for the opposition. There was one where he had to go, he had to go down to his right hand side, and he he really pushed it far out to the wing and. Uh, that's that's an aspect of his goalkeeping that I like. Where it's not just the save he makes, but where he pushes the save too.
0: Yeah, that's really important because otherwise, if you do just put push it into a, the path of an attacker, then I mean you've either got another save to make or you concede a goal. So yeah, you've got to make sure the ball's out of the way. Um, and like you say, he does that well. And I can't see Button getting his, his spot back in the side anytime soon because if, if he was, does, I'll cry. I think a few people will Palmer's come in he's been excellent Um, and what is it two clean sheets out of three and I mean to be fair to him there was absolutely nothing he could do for that goal that we conceded at Preston so him alongside along with Kelly the heart of defence is is looking good because um, again like you said Kelly has been solid Um, yeah I think your description of someone that loves defending is pretty accurate um and he's a another player that similar to Livermore. Um, he saw a lot of the ball in possession, but he just kept it simple. Just kind of played it to his uh, his centre back partners, um, the wide centre backs. Which is I'm I'm happy with that. If he can keep the ball like that and just play simple passes, and again let let the other players on the pitch that are probably better at it do the the more important pattern, if you like, and moving the ball up the field, then then that's good as well. I mean his his main main job is to to defend, so um yeah, been really pleased with him so far and it was kind of well, yeah, maybe a bit unexpected because I think it's fair to say that we were both concerned and probably quite a few quite a lot of Albion fans were concerned that he hadn't played much in the past um couple of years and you know, he's definitely towards the end of his career and, and I think we were concerned about whether he'd be able to we just
1: came out with a stat on the uh, on, on the um, on the um, commentary, Pete, that um, Martin Kelly has played more in the last week than he has since 2020.
0: Wow, yeah, and that's that's what we're talking about. Is just wasn't sure whether he'd be able to get back up to speed with with the game um, after such a long time out almost, and at that age. But you know, he's coming and he's impressed. So long may it continue.
1: Absolutely. Um, and I think as well, Pete, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of managers rumoured around the job and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it does seem like there's a different favourite every day. We're going to touch on the f- the favourite today, according to the bookmakers, a little bit later Um which uh, we we've on as as we record on Sunday, we're seeing rumours from Alan Nixon about um, Stephen Schumacher from Plymouth and seen his odds tumble with the with the bookmakers. But the the last few days, the favourite has been Sean Deich. and you you've got to say if Deich was to come in and inherit Martin Kelly, Eric Peters, obviously a player that he knows well, Dar Roche, Jake Livermore in front of them, he'd have a lovely old time with that level of stability and reliability in terms of defending, wouldn't he?
0: Yeah, I think so. And, um, again, it's, Deitch is definitely someone that we've said we'd love, we'd love to have in, um, albeit we thought it'd be unrealistic and I probably still do, to be honest, but, um, if we can get him As do
1: I, I'm very much in the, I'll believe it when I see it camp.
0: Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, I think, I don't think he could be unhappy with a squad that he'd inherit, um, in terms of ability, it's just we're probably lacking depth in a couple of areas, um, and and whether the um, the characters of the squad could maybe be in question. I don't know. As as we always say, we we don't know them, so we can't really comment too much on that. But the fact that they've had this many managers sack some of them and um, seem to stop playing for them when they don't like them is, you know, you can probably raise questions there. But, the actual ability of the players in the squad, and especially the, f- the starting eleven um yeah i think I think any manager would be happy to to take the squad on at this level um it's just whether whether we can afford the manager and and whether the manager fancies the battle of trying to pull this pull the team up the table because what two game two wins in fourteen games is it now, and you know it's it's been a poor season so so far um
1: but most managers would fancy themselves to improve upon that.
0: That is true. Yeah, I don't think many managers would.
1: You're actually... in a winning position almost straight away, aren't you? It's what it's what in what what a lot of uh, people I've worked for would like to call low hanging fruit.
0: Yeah, and it's I don't think I I don't want to jinx, obviously, but I really really don't think that a squad as strong as ours would would go down from the championship would get relegated. Obviously, it's possible, but I don't think it would. So. I don't think any I think manager... we'd have
1: to make a horrendous appointment for us to go down.
0: Exactly. So I don't think any manager would actually be worried about about that and their job is only to to move us up the table and try and get us in a position at the end of the season where we've got an opportunity to, to get promoted, which in fairness isn't isn't we're not too far away from the uh the playoff places. I mean it's kind of we've been quite lucky because it's such an open season this year and there's not really been a gap that's formed anywhere just yet so if we do bring someone in and they can string a a run of games where we pick up four or five wins in a row then we'll be we'll be well in the mix and yeah I think it's probably quite a good opportunity for a manager to to be able to move up the table with a squad this good and with the amount of games left in the season so I'd say it's apart from the the kind of mess of structure of the club and and the other things going on behind the scenes it's probably quite a um, Excites an opportunity for for a manager.
1: Eight points off the team we beat yesterday, Reading, who are in who are in six with a better goal difference. Our goal difference, by the way, for a team uh, in twentieth, we, we're plus one. It's 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 absolutely it's loopy. Whilst Reading in six have minus five. Like, get your head around that. But I mean, yeah, it, it, we've got two games in a week. I'm not saying we're going to win both of them because I mean we've we've just as you say we've we, we've just won. Um, two games in 14 so you, you can't have, you you can't necessarily expect us to win uh, three games in three realistically but if we were to go and beat Bristol City at home and Millwall away we'd probably be right on the coattails of Reading to be honest with you and um, just one more player related one that I just want to that want to have a quick mention of uh, Pete before we move on to the managerial situation which is which is what we'll finish off with today there's not a lot data-wise or anything else to talk about because he came onto the pitch um, and he did a job, but you know, there, there wasn't a lot in his performance when you, especially when you look at the numbers, but nice to see Reyes Cleary get a run out. And it was interesting that to see him get as long as he did. I mean, I I expected him to come on at some point. I'm not sure I expected him to get nearly half an hour, which is, which is what it, what it, what it was. And, I think I just think it's, uh, you know, it's obviously the positive of having the under 21 manager and caretaker charge that he's going to give people like him an opportunity for for Academy products on on the pitch at the final whistle. Palmer, O'Shea, Taylor Gardner, Hickman, Andreas Cleary. And I just think it's really, really positive to see him getting the opportunity. I don't think he's anywhere near ready to start for us. At this point in in time, I've seen nothing from either his cameo yesterday or his games against Sheffield United and Derby in the Cup to suggest that he is ready to lead the line from the off for us, um, because I simply don't think he could do the job that Brandon Thomas Asante is doing. And as we spoke about the other week, I think we've almost got to lean on Brandon Thomas Asante's youth at this moment in time and pretty much ask him to just slog it out and start every game between now and the World Cup, because I really don't think we've got any other option in in that position unless DK gets back to fitness before the World Cup starts. But I think Cle- Cleary is an interesting option off the bench, and I think he will develop Im- immeasurably with every sort of 15, 20, 20 minutes, half an hour that he gets on a football pitch. And I was delighted to get, see him get so long. He didn't really do anything in the game. That's admittedly true, but that doesn't mean he hasn't got an awful lot out of it. And I think he, it will, whilst he didn't contribute a great deal to the game, I think it will develop him a lot as a player that just that 30 minutes. What do you think?
0: Yeah, it's really important to um, youth players, that have, you know, that, sharing a bit of promise is to get him really important to get him minutes in the first team and, and playing senior football at a high level because even though he didn't do a lot I think he would have would have definitely learnt a lot and I mean it would be good for his confidence to and just for as a reward for all the goals he's scoring in in the under 21s um, for him to see that there probably is a pathway if, if he does keep performing and and I assume training at a, a good level as well and I suppose that's the benefit of having you um, under 21's managers. And he
1: worked hard as well, Pete, because my concern when he came on was that Brandon Thomas Asante hadn't given those Reading defenders a moment's peace. And I thought, even if Cleary drops off by 10-15% from where Thomas Asante was, that's a problem for us. But the one thing you can always control is your level of work rate, and I didn't. Th- uh, I thought he 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 worked. He matched Thomas Asante's work rate. He couldn't like uh, match his ability and his experience, but he matched his work rate, and that was really important.
0: Yeah, and I just say that's that's the thing that you can can control, and I'm sure Bill will be happy that to see that as well because yeah, he's putting in the work as well, even though he's not. He's not getting the goals that he he regularly gets at under 21 level um he can still put in the work and, and he he did do so I think yeah I mean as you say Beale is likely to be in charge of at least the next game the next one maybe the next couple of games um and I think he will probably continue to to try and get minutes into the the academy players um because he has worked with them and and especially with Reyes Cleary, the number of goals I don't have the numbers in front of me but he scored a lot of goals again for the under twenty ones and you know he's probably deserving of a, a few opportunities. He's already
1: person. scored as many goals this season and bearing in mind we're in October for the under twenty ones as he did in the whole of last season.
0: Wow now yeah that's impressive and at that level he's he's proven that he's an incredible goal scorer. Um every time I see I see that we've scored a goal and it comes up on my Twitter feed it's always it's almost always Ray's Cleary. Um, so, yeah, It's I think it's nice for the other academy players as well that, to see Cleary playing because, you know, they're probably now thinking, hang on, if I, if I can develop and, and put in performances like he does for the under-21s, then there's probably a path there for me as well.
1: Yeah, which is which is absolutely fantastic, and as I say, a, a big big credit to, to to Richard Beale. It's also worth noting as well, Pete, and this is a big thing for Tuesday night with uh, with the fans. That obviously, you know, it's a fan base that isn't overly enamoured with its club at the moment for very reasonable reasons. You know, the club has let the supporters down over the last few years, really, and one an easy win, an easy win that the club can always have. Is showing young players a pathway because the fans will always get behind their own, won't they?
0: Yeah, your fans are much, much more likely to to not get on the back of um, a, an academy graduate that's coming to the squad, and even if they don't have the best game, they're probably almost definitely going to get a good support from from the fan base because I think they're quite understanding that these players are still young and and not the the finished article and. It's all about experience for those for those young players, and and that's where they're going to develop the most. So if they are brought in and, and used, then I think yeah, as you say, it does get fans more on board.
1: And just to just to comment on Richard Beale, you know, brilliant, brilliant from him in the last game. As as we've already said, then long may it continue whilst he holds the reins at the Albion. I have to say my take is still though, Pete, cause I've seen, I've seen a few Albion fans I heard. I was listening to the radio on my way back home, uh, after the game on, on, on Saturday and hearing that, uh, you know, some, some fans saying, I'll oh, just give it him till the end of the season. I think that's very premature. I still personally want to see us go and hire a, a permanent manager. I think it takes the pressure off Gourlay a little bit in terms of the, The the length of time that he has to do it, I think uh, you know. I think if we got beaten at Reading, then there would have been real pressure to get a manager in ASAP. Whereas I think now he has a little bit more time to take that decision, do the research that I hope he's doing, and you know do the due diligence around all of this and make sure that we get the right person because this is a really really important appointment but i mean richard beale said something interesting after the after the game he said i'm, I'm really pleased with these players uh, w- with these players because they've given me everything and i'm not their manager he categorically said that i'm not their manager and i've you know i i had um eight years at west bromwich albion we went through quite a few managers um through that through that eight years i think I think I'd be right in saying I I worked under six or seven permanent managers at West Brom, um, so I worked under quite a few caretaker managers as well, and uh, you know it was always interesting because you you always have a good bond with the. With the coaches the manager the manager quite often has this kind of slightly aloof thing about him where you know he almost needs to keep everybody at a bit of a distance to maintain his authority but the coaches you can get quite close to a lot of the time so you you're quite often quite close to the person who steps into the caretaker role and I remember on a number of occasions one in particular sticks out to me i won't name his name because it's not it's not fair because he didn't speak to me on the record at the time and i wouldn't want to you know I wouldn't want to break that comment confidence. But talking about the about the caretaker role, he, he, he told me, look, you know, it's great because you can get a reaction out of the players for a couple of games, but as it goes on, it's difficult because you do have to become the bad guy, the guy that the, the guy that starts dropping the that calls them into the office and explains why they're not going to be playing. And you almost lose that credit in the bank a little bit in the sense that you know, you, you were there almost a conduit between the manager and the, and the players. You, you were that conduit before now, suddenly you're the one making the harsh decisions. And so the longer the caretaker situation goes on, the harder it becomes. Some people, some people can work it out. You know, Jimmy Shan did an amazing job over, I think it was 12 games, wasn't it? That he was caretaker manager. Some people can work it out for others. A caretaker role is exactly that. And uh, and and uh, I think the point I'm trying to make is don't get carried away over a caretaker manager getting results for three, four games because they might be a very, very good coach, but it is not necessarily a suggestion that they could do it over three years. Because they can do it over three matches, they might be able to. And as I say, there are some that 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 can that can translate it. We, you know, the the most prominent example was, of course, Gary Monk when he stepped into the role at um, uh, at Swansea and then ended up being the Swansea manager for years and years after that. But a lot of the time, when you see managers, and I'm not talking about West Brom now, I'm talking about generally when you see caretaker managers step into a role, do okay for a few games, and then get given the reigns full time, that what you've seen from them in the interim period does not necessarily translate over, over a longer period of time. And personally, Pete, I'm still very much in the camp of, I love, I love what Richard Beale has done and I thank him for it. And I'm, you know, and I'm very pleased that he's going to be the man in the hot seat ahead of, um, uh, ahead of Tuesday night. But I thought his, his comment to WM about, I am not their manager was quite telling about where he sees himself. And I think, uh, I don't feel like the guy carries any real aspirations for the, for the job. I think he would, I think he'll be happy to step back into the, I don't know him, so I could be dead wrong on this, but I feel like he could be ready to, he could be happy to step back into the 21s and allow somebody else to take the role on a senior, senior basis and, that's where I'm at, that I think that that's what I, I do still think that we need a permanent manager rather than, you know, Richard Beale maybe get, obviously got a win on Saturday. Get Say he gets a win on Tuesday as well, that we look at it and go, well, he's got two wins from two games, which is, uh, you know, more wins than we've got in the whole of the rest of the season. So let's just give him the job going forward. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think you got, I don't think you can um give him the, the full time, the permanent role. Of just a couple of performances, um you know I think I think we should be looking for a manager and not just offering it to him until the end of the season offering not just offering it to Bill till the end of the season um yeah i think I think quite often when a an interim or caretaker manager comes in um they get a bit of a reaction, especially when when we'd looked so um so poor for the last few games under Bruce, I think.
1: When, when the rumors are as well that the players weren't really feeling it either,
0: yeah, exactly, so you know I think I'm not sure um whether it was just great work from bill to to get that performance out of them, or if if well not any man, but whether that performance was just because we'd got rid of Bruce and they would have done that for for any coach that came in for for the game I mean obviously, we mentioned about is it was a uh, his idea to push the wing-backs high, which, um, clearly worked and was a very good idea. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we should keep, obviously, we've got him as interim manager until we make an appointment, but I do think we need to make an appointment of a, a more experienced, um, manager or coach of, you know, first team football. Um, I don't think we can, can offer Bill the, the role permanently, just offer a couple of performances after we've seen such a, a bad run of performances under Bruce.
1: I agree. I agree, and interesting to see that uh, the uh, we we did obviously a full pod around the managerial candidates um, uh, last week. So we're not going to go through everybody on 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 the betting odds. We've briefly mentioned die earlier on, who I think um, Pete. I, I don't want to speak speak for you, but you know, so you, you jump in and uh, and say, but I, he'd probably be he'd probably be my choice. Uh, you know, I think he's yours as well. Is would that be fair to say?
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that.
1: But the one that whose odds are tumbling today, and certainly somebody that we mentioned last week is uh, is Stephen Schumacher at Plymouth um Alan Nixon reporting that we are set to make an approach to Plymouth to ask to speak to um stephen Schumacher and Pete a very interesting candidate because i mean first of all, we spoke about him last week and what we what we said quite categorically was that we would take Schumacher, but we would want Duesnip, the sporting director at Plymouth, alongside him. We would want a two birds, one stone type appointment. But also when you look at Plymouth, and I'm sure you'll come to the underlying data at the, uh, in a moment because I know Plymouth are massively out outperforming what the data says they should be doing. But I mean, they they look an exciting team, don't they? Um uh, Twenty. Uh, what is it? Twenty-eight goals in twenty-four game. Sorry, twenty-eight goals in fourteen games. Fifteen shots per game. I mean, and also they share the goals around so much. Uh, their top scorer's got five, and they've got five different players on five goals. They seem an exciting team to uh, t- team to watch. I mean, it's. It, it's a it's a little bit of little bit of a mad one, isn't it? But uh, but uh, I mean, he's certainly not a candidate that I'm against in any way, shape, or form. As I say, I do caveat it with I would want to see us make a double approach to take Schumacher and Juicenip. so that we have uh, you know, and I think that would be a really smart thing for us to do. But I'm not against this link by any stretch.
0: No, my only cons- my concern really is. Um... The massive overperformance of you know the the underlying data, the expected goals. I think they've been expected to score about about sixteen. I think and was it twenty eight that they've got? So it's you know it's a, a huge, a huge overperformance, um, which you know it can't can't be sustainable to for that to carry on. Um, so obviously you need you need a system where you're going to consistently create chances. And I've not actually watched Plymouth this season, so I don't really, I can't. Um, Currently, say where the goals are coming from, but if I had to guess based on the on the data, I'd assume they're scoring quite a few long shots with the, the number of shots they're having and the, the value of the expected goals, um, and it's just a lot of them are going in and a higher amount than a higher amount than you could expect to to go in. So, I think that's my concern that they've well that they're overperforming. That I mean, in fairness, they are still. Uh, I think it's the fourth highest in League One for expected goals, so they are creating chances. Just, um, I was going
1: to say because they are they're so far above expectations, being top of the league, that a little bit of overperformance is not necessarily that worrying, is it?
0: No, I mean it is a it's a massive overperformance. It's almost almost performing at two hundred percent of the expected goals, but they are, as I say, they are fourth for expected goals, so they are they do create chances and quite a, a high amount relative to the to the league. It's just that they are scoring a lot more than they maybe should be. So, you know, I'll, you can you can look at the total number of goals and be really impressed. Um but maybe just just also consider that they are probably good at creating chances, just the the actual number of goals is probably um misrepresenting their quality. I do I do still think they're probably playing very well to create the chances, but maybe not as well as the, the goal scores suggests.
1: I mean, it's also worth noting that uh, on on Schumacher that obviously, to give you a little bit of background, he was um, the assistant manager to Ryan Lowe at Plymouth when uh, when Lowe left for for Preston. And I think a lot of people at that point expected to see some huge drop off from, from Plymouth when Lowe went to Preston. And there wasn't. There wasn't last season really you know they 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 did okay after after Lowe went, and obviously they've done superbly at this se- at this season and when you actually hear people speak around Plymouth, I think what what they what they actually say is that is that Preston were a little bit foolish to take Ryan Lowe without Stephen Schumacher because it 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 seems like. Some quarters think he he's very much the brains of the coaching uh, operation when when those two were in situ at Plymouth.
0: And We are screaming out for a director of football, um, or sporting director, or whatever. We, we need someone in that kind of role to oversee the, the football op- operations. Um, so it'd be quite useful if we could, you know, kill two birds with one stone and bring in bring both of them in from from Plymouth. Um, so it's you know it's I think. Schumacher, as you say, is very highly rated um, from Plymouth and, as you say, Preston are maybe regretting that, but if we can bring him in as well as a, a director of football and I mean, it's probably, things will probably run smoother if it's somebody that, if it's a pairing that have worked together, as you said on the previous podcast, um, then I think I think it could be a very good double appointment.
1: I think that's the thing as well with with Plymouth because, and this is always the thing with with us, is that I think unless we get up this season, which obviously at the moment, whilst we are where we are in the table, you have to suggest is fairly unlikely that we are going to end up running at a much smaller at much smaller budget than than we than we otherwise have been um, in. In in previous seasons, um, and we're going to have to cut our cloth because we're going to end up with, with with quite a few with quite a few players on high wages that we aren't necessarily going to be able to shift. And you know what what you've what you've got to say is that to be fair to um, to be fair to Plymouth, their recruitment has been uh, whilst Neil dusnip has been there, and obviously Stephen Schumacher is is also is also the manager it's been really it's been really good because i mean they've they've largely utilized the loan market but then you know potato potato a little bit on on that one why why worry about the fact that players are on loan when we might have the money to go and buy these players but they you know he's got uh, they've gone and found players like um Sam Co- Cosgrove has, has five goals he, uh, for them. He's on loan from Birmingham. They've got Morgan Whitaker on loan from Swansea. He's one of their top scorers uh, with five goals. And they've got, they've got Barley Mumba on loan from, from Norwich, who's 20 years old and by all accounts has been absolutely phenomenal for them this season. Um, and if you, you know, that's not, I imagine a lot of that hasn't come from, from Schumacher. Neil juicenip for anybody who um, who doesn't know, is a, a former employee of the FA and has worked across a lot of the age groups. So I would imagine juicenip's knowledge of the, the age groups at England being absolutely massive in 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 finding some of these players because he's not he's not just going to know english youth players he's obviously going to have seen the england youth groups playing against other nations and he's going to know he's going to know young players from other nations as well and you look at how well some of those successful england youth coaches have gone on to be i mean steve cooper of course was a product of that system as well and it does seem like, obviously, we've had a really fertile group of, uh, of, of, of crop of um, England youth players come through. But we also seem to have had a, a really fertile crop of England youth coaches. And it's interesting that Juicenip hasn't gone the Cooper route of going into management, but instead has gone into sport uh, a sporting director role, which if you, be- if, if you believe, say hypothetically speaking, we don't go up this year, Pete, you're probably going to need to find gems who are 20, 21, 22 years old, and we need to bring the average age of this squad down anyway. Having somebody in the sporting director role who has a really, really exhaustive knowledge of youth football could be huge for us, couldn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and having those knowing um, players that from an early age uh, that you can look at and and hopefully have good um good a good network of players that you've seen play from not just from england and from abroad as well and um yeah, I mean I think it could just be refreshing as well just to, to have somebody that's kind of, well is doing that role and and is good at that role and and'll be able to bring in players and and spot and look for young players that are are probably ready for championship football, but maybe haven't been given the chance. I mean just a few years But we had Harvey Barnes didn't we and and you know, he did a fantastic job. Um and we've we've had a lot of successful loan signings from from Premier League teams, young players. Um and and I think it would just be, you know, that that experience with with seeing those um young players playing in the past and and probably making those connections with people as well and and just having good experience within football, um, it could be vital and it is definitely a position that we need to, need to be filling.
1: Well, we will leave it there on that one, not least because, uh, the, the, there's such fluctuation in the markets, uh, on the West Bromwich Albion manager market that we, we're recording this on, uh, on Sunday afternoon m- moments before the Manchester City Liverpool game. And there's a fairly good chance that by the time the final whistle goes on, uh, on, on City Liverpool, that there's probably a new favourite for the Albion job. And all, all that we've just talked about on Neil Dewsnip, Stephen Schumacher and, and Plymouth Argyle becomes utterly redundant. So, uh, we'll, we'll leave the chat there until, until something more concrete is, uh, is confirmed. But as ever, it will be, um, one pod a week, unless, of course, a manager is appointed, in which case, you know, as we did after Steve Bruce was sacked, we hop into gear and we will we, we'll bring you an extra pod to talk about that very, very important news. But assuming, of course, that we don't appoint a manager this week, and the indication is that we may well not do, it seems like, Particularly with a victory at the weekend, Ron Gourlay feels like time is on his side a little bit and and wants to take that time to, um, to, to make a, a well-informed appointment. And as long as he makes the, the right appointment, I think we're all in support of him doing exactly that. Um, so we will be back after the Millwall game to, dis, to look back at both the Bristol City home game this Tuesday and the, the Millwall away game on Saturday. So until then, thanks for listening and up the baggies.
2: on 116-123. That's 116-123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
1: Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNuggets share box. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in?